This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast coming at you for tonight. One of the biggest nights uh, in in recent Sixer history, I guess. And of course, the Mike Missanelli Podcast is brought to us by Bet Rivers. In a little bit, we'll be joined by the great Tim Legler for his analysis of Game 6 at the Wells Fargo Center where the Sixers can actually wrap it up, get past this second round, and look forward to hosting either the Miami Heat or the New York Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals for a chance to get to the uh, NBA Finals. I can't emphasize how big of a night this is here in Philadelphia. Uh, And it's a big night for a lot of reasons. Number one is they have to get past this round. All right, let's just – this is bad – Postseason history in game uh, in, in, in in second round. So let's start with Celtics uh, in five games in 2018. They lost in this round of Celtics in 2018. The Raptors in 2019 with the four bounces with Kawhi Leonard. That was the Jimmy Butler team where it all blew up after that. And then they were swept by the Celtics in the bubble series. And then... The the, the the most unkind cut of all. They lose to the Hawks in 2021 after leading a game in the third quarter by 25 points, a game that I bet the Sixers on the money line, and they were giving the Hawks seven and a half, and I was at the game, and I stared in disbelief. So um, there's these ghosts that are following the Sixers here, and, and they can uh, uh, really uh, – expel these ghosts tonight at the Wells Fargo Center. The last time they actually got past this round was in 2001. That was AI. So we we all know that history, right? So here's the uh, – I was feeling really confident after watching game five because I thought, I thought they took the Celtics hard. Now I'm trying not to – I'm trying to give a pro team a little, a little more credit for having heart like yeah i've seen it many times in college you take a college team's hard they got nothing left for the next night a pro team 
has a tendency where they can bounce back because they're professionals, right? So I don't want to read too much into the Sixers taking their heart. It certainly looked like the Sixers took their heart in game five at home and embarrassed them on their home floor, and the Celtics had nothing to give. However, tonight, the Celtics are a a two-and-a-half-point favorite at the Wells Fargo Center. Now, if you know me, lines have a big effect on me. When I saw that line, it actually started at one. It went up to two-and-a-half. Um, the Sixers with a chance to close it out after coming off a Sterling game five are an underdog tonight. Now I, I, I can, I can go with, well, Vegas is just brilliant or I can go with they're overvaluing the Celtics. So I'm going to go down that track today. I think they are overvaluing the Celtics because what I saw with the Celtics is they have a duo of two good players, but it's not a dynamic duo and you need a dynamic duo to get you past a, t- uh, a, a series where you got housed at home, all right? And I don't think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are LeBron and D. Wade. I, I don't think they're of that ilk. So uh, I believe that Vegas is is overvaluing the Celtics because they were in the same circumstance last year and they were able to overcome the Milwaukee Bucks. I get it. But last year shouldn't have anything to do with this year. And if you watch closely in Game 5, those two stars weren't capable of of pushing that team past the point where they needed help from their subordinate players because they got no help from their subordinate players in game five. They didn't get help from Al Horford. They got very little help from Marcus Smart and, and Malcolm Brogdon or Derek White. Those guys didn't come through. When those guys didn't come through, the onus now goes on the stars to carry him through. Stars didn't carry him through. So Jason Tatum has disappeared in many circumstances, and so has Jalen Brown. So to believe that all of a sudden they're going to come off the mat, they're going to go into Philly, they're going to rise up and take the series back to Boston for Game 7 is a possibility. I don't think it's happening. I'm going against the Mike Missinelli. The line is telling me something principal, and we'll get to that more in a second. I think the Sixers have a tremendous opportunity to close this out because they are carrying confidence. They've got the best player on the floor in Joel Embiid who played I think his most complete game in game five and did exactly what it needed to do. I thought they were coached brilliantly where they got Joe Embiid, Joel Embiid clean looks at the nail, which is the foul line because of the nail now. And he's making those medium range jump shots. Harden, who didn't have the 42 point gas, did other things. Tobias Harris out of nowhere played well. And Maxi was the key. If Maxi hits threes, the Sixers win tonight. Now, he has a tendency to, you know, get a little timid. But I can't imagine he's going to get timid after that performance with those guys in his ear all the time to be aggressive, be aggressive, be aggressive. They want him to take double-digit three-point shots. He took 12 in game five. He made six of them. He's got to do the same thing. Um, all right. Um, what can they do here? Uh, what can the Boston Celtics do? Can they, can they change their defense? Um, they could. Um, they could play their two bigs. If I were the Celtics, and Joe Mazzulla now, is uh, his his sphincter is so tight, you couldn't pound a pin in it at this point. So what what's he going to do? Is he going to show a desperation, say, all right, I got to change things up? Is that a good message to his team? Is that a bad message to his team? Does he play Robert Williams and Al Horford together and get bigger and try to, to, to be a little more physical with the Sixers and double-team Embiid like they were doing earlier, gang up on Embiid, and hope those other guys aren't making shots, including P.J. Tucker, who's going to be open all night. 
You want to dare Maxi to make some shots? You want to you want to gang up and say, well, you know what? Harden's not going to make those shots. Harden needs three days to rest before he's going to deliver an offensive performance. So we're going to gang and bead with Biggs. We're gonna we're gonna get the ball out of his hands and hope those other guys don't make shots. I would assume they do something like that tonight, but that doesn't get past the mental hurdle, right? They had a tremendous chance to win Game Four and they squandered it. And so when a team squanders something like that, a really good team with a pedigree gets pissed off about that. They go, we're going back home. We're going to make a statement in game five. We, we, we had a great opportunity. We let it slide. It is not going to happen in front of our home crowd. And what happened? <laughs> they didn't come out <laughs> with their hair on fire. They didn't come out ready to play. They didn't come out with a killer attitude. They came out timid in game five. So that tells me a lot about this team. And we've seen it many times with Boston Celtics, even during the regular season. They're really unpredictable. But to me, if you're faced with a situation, your back's against the wall, you got to come out fighting. And they didn't fight. It tells me, where's the – all of a sudden they're going to fight in game six at home? It's the Sixers' home territory? I'm just not seeing it. I'm sorry. Uh, Tatum came out slow again in, in game five. Brown at 15 in the first quarter, then disappeared. And, and then they got no help from the other guy. So they are getting destroyed in Boston right now. And – just for, for uh, amusement purposes, I would like to read uh, a little bit from a column by Dan Shaughnessy, who's been a columnist up there for a million years. Following Game 5, uh, this is what he wrote. and i, I got to read it word for word because I can't do it justice here. So, so let, me, let me try to find it here. Uh, so the headline is, uh, after a stunning loss, to the Sixers at home again. Five. The Celtics are on the brink of becoming an epic failure. Uh, here it is. Uh, perhaps the piece they resistance was Jalen Brown, three for eight for the free throw line, getting to the line for two free throws when the Celtics seemed to be rallying and missing both with 9.36 left and the Celtics trailing by 14. Beyond weak. And these guys want you to think they're elite? What have they won? Ever. They care about all NBA and Subway sandwiches and social media love, but while playing for an organization that expects clutch plays and championships, they have done little to indicate they are anything more than posers. This is still time for the 2022-23 Celtics to redeem themselves. It's time for the two Jays to step up. This is supposed to be their time, but now they are on the a threshold of an epic failure. How about that? Now, that's a guy going after somebody. We don't read those kind of columns in Philly anymore, with all due respect. Now, he's calling them chumps. And uh, and so they're, they're really hurting in Boston over this team. This is why I don't, everybody's so down on him, so down on the coach. The coach is spooked. I don't see it. I don't see it for game six. I expect the Sixers to wrap this thing up. I'm trying to not pay attention. To the, to the line of two and a half. I am taking the Sixers money line winners tonight. Bang on my Bet Rivers app. What do you think of that, uh, producer Darren? Uh, listen, I think, I think Boston's going to come out strong. I really do. I think they got to weather that storm, and if they can put them away, they're going to get a burst from the Celtics early on. That's what I think. The biggest difference between this Celtics team and last year's relates to everything you just said. It's coaching. They just don't have the mental toughness that they, they've showed in the past. I think that's the biggest difference maker tonight. But I do think they'll come out 
you know, play strong early on. Um, Sixers put them away tonight. I'd rather win tonight. I don't like their chances in game seven in Boston. Okay. All right. You know, there, there are two things at work here. One is, can the Sixers win three straight games, which is they, what they will have to do if they win tonight. And uh, would they would the Celtics then lose three games at home in a game seven? You have a good point. Nobody wants it to get there with the game seven. But, you know, I, at this point, I, <laughs> like, I'm going to fear Boston in, in a game seven. I, you know, I was supposed to fear him in game five. So maybe the Sixers, but maybe the, the Celtics win Game Six. The Sixers still have a, a Game Seven in their pocket; they can beat that team. I they have beaten them twice already. Why not Game Seven? Zero right, reason the to I get the seven tonight. They have everything in their court, literally their court. They have everything going for them Do it tonight. Right. We we shall see. I think Boston has shown themselves to be weak. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, we continue Sixers talk on the Mike Missanelli podcast, and oh, such a special guest that we have right now, LaSalle College great, former NBA three-point shooting champ, the new czar of the Telestrator. I mean, he's amazing with the thing, NBA analyst, and he's on every show on ESPN these days. The great Tim Legler joins us. Timmy. Mike, what's up, brother, man? Been way too long, but this is a great time for you and I to reconnect. It, well, it sure is. So let, let's connect, like, right away on what happened last night. Because, frankly, I, I was stunned at the dominance of the Sixers. I wasn't expecting it. I thought they could win a game in Boston. Uh, but I didn't think the Celtics would allow them to win it so easily. What, what's your general impression of what you saw last night? Well, I think, first of all, join the club because I don't think there's a person out there could could have predicted that. I mean, some people might have thought Philly could win the game. I, I thought Boston would win the game. Nobody saw that level of dominance. And when I when I say this statement, people might think it's an overreaction. I don't think it is. I think that was the most dominant performance by any team in the postseason so far. And I've seen blowouts, but a lot of times in a blowout, team gets up 25-30 and then the other team sort of caves and, and, and it's, you know, waved the white flag. This was a situation where Boston continued to play at home, a team that went to the finals never made a legitimate threatening run in the game. I I can't recall another example of a team never making a run in a game like that important. I mean, I guess you want to go back to Phoenix-Dallas last year, but again, that turned into a 40-point game immediately. Uh, In the second quarter, that was 30-plus, and then Phoenix collapsed. That's not what I'm talking about here. This is a team fighting the entire time and couldn't figure out a way to stop them or make a run offensively. Listen, the NBA playoffs, right? you, you never know how teams are going to respond. I mean, you know, my favorite reference in covering sports for a lot of years, and you uh, playing and, and looking at this, that sometimes a team gets their heart taken away from them. Yeah. And that's what it looked like to me with the Celtics. So, am I? Is that too simplistic that to say that, that this, the Celtics got their heart taken last night? Um, man, that, that, that would probably be the extreme version of how I would describe it. But look, you definitely saw frustration set in. You saw a lack of chemistry. You saw a lack of any sort of vibe in the building. So I don't think that's necessarily an overstatement. They looked like a team at particularly in the third quarter when there was a couple dagger shots hit and beat hit that big three Maxi hit a three and, you know, and house was scoring it looked like they let go of the rope a little bit. And because they just kind of were looking at each other like, we don't know how to guard this team. And then there was a sideline report in the game. I don't know if you guys caught this. During the broadcast, a sideline report, I think it was Allie LaForce, came and said she was, in, she was near the huddle for Boston, 
And they said, what was it like? And she said there were five guys yelling at each other about coverages. And I thought that was the, one of the most bizarre things I've ever heard. Typically, you might hear a couple of guys going back and forth or the coach being very animated about coverage or the staff, not the entire team. And I think that that described the level of confusion and like discombobulation on the part of the Celtics that summed up their night. Well, uh, listen, I don't want to discredit the Sixers. They they took that game last night, and they, and they were Absolutely. excellent in every phase. But uh, I'm looking at, uh, you know, the, the game four is a game that the Celtics really had a great opportunity to win. And and I'm thinking, okay, they're going to go back home. They realized they had a great opportunity to win. They're going to come out guns blazing. And they didn't. They right. didn't in the first quarter. And then with the score at nine at halftime, I'm thinking, okay, third quarter, adjustments, here they come. And and, and they didn't do it either. So what does that say about them? And what does it say about the Sixers? Did the Sixers enforce that on them? Or or did is Boston the type of team, and we've seen it all year, they're up and down. You never know what you're going to get with them. Yeah, look, so this team went to the finals in the first two months of this year. They were historically great offensively. They were hands down the best team in the NBA until like Christmas. And then they they spent a long period of time where they were very much mediocre, 500 flat defensive performances, you know, not barraging the threes on you like they normally did. And it was very up and down. And then you get toward the end here and you think, okay, well, the adrenaline's going to kick in. And and because they're that good, they're that deep, they're that good defensively. They've got two star offensive players. Something's different about this team. And I think the first thing that jumps out to me, they don't really dictate to you defensively what they're going to let you do anymore. They just don't have that persona about them. Last year, you could have made an argument for Marcus Smart for Defensive Player of the Year, but you also could have made an argument for Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Robert Williams to be all-league defensive players. That's what they did to you. That's not the case now. I mean, as great as Embiid has been in this this series, particularly last night, he was incredible. Look at the shots he's taken in the middle area of the floor. They're practice shots. They're the same shot he gets before the game working out with a coach. Exactly the same shot. No resistance, plenty of space, rise up, shoot over a shorter guy, and get into this incredible rhythm. So there's something different about the Celtics than what we saw last year in the finals in the early part of this season. And look, maybe it's the Udoka-Mazula factor. Maybe that plays into it. They, they just Maybe they don't have as much belief that they're getting answers that they need, that the preparation is there. Um, but this is not a team right now that's firing on the type of cylinders that, that they need to be to be a legitimate title threat. And give Philly credit, man, because they came in there with an incredible approach. And look, they, it was just a beat. Maxie was great. Harden was very good and controlled the game. Tobias played well. Daniel House gave him that X-factor component. They were so good last night across the board. It's one of the most impressive wins Sixers have had since Joel Embiid got there. Talking to Tim Legger. Tim, take me through because you do this every night. Talk to me about how the Sixers attacked Boston's defense last night and and how they got pretty much any shot they wanted through Embiid. Yeah, so listen, it's really about the two-man game with Harden in in the middle of the floor. That's their bread and butter. But none of it's going to be effective if Harden hadn't established himself as a guy that's a legitimate threat to score in the series. And he was game one, game four, just absolutely dominant. So now Boston reacts to him off the screen. He floods guys toward him. That creates space to throw the ball back to Embiid in that top of the key elbow foul line area. That's where he wants to operate. Harden is doing the early work, gets it to Embiid. But there's another wrinkle to it that I I like what they've done. There's an adjustment. P.J. Tucker 
is not just camped out in that weak side corner and standing there waiting. Because if he was, now you got two defenders on there because Robert Williams is helping on Harden. One of those guys could stunt at Embiid and, and, or even maybe even just run over to him, prevent that space and prevent that shot and leave the other guy to guard Tucker and, you know, Maxi or Harris. Problem is, Tucker's running the baseline now in a lot of those. So one of those defenders has to chip down on him, which means that last guy left has to stay home with Maxi or Harris, whoever the shooter is. So now you're asking Robert Williams to guard the penetration, now run back to Embiid and get into this stay or Horford and get into this stance. And they're low, they're short, Embiid's looking at him, and he's just going into this nice rhythm. Whether it's jab, jab, pull up, pull up right away. A couple times he drifted to the three. A couple of times, but he hasn't had too much. He's ball faked and gone by guys to get into the lane. But they're not crowding him. So the shot that's there is that 18-foot jumper that right now he is just not missing. And that's the biggest problem for the Boston Celtics is adjusting to it to make Embiid see something different because he's not going to miss that shot. He's just going to continue to do what he's doing if they play it the same way. All right, so what what do you uh first of all, what do you think of Missoula as a coach? Uh listen. He's yeah. been he's been blasted in, in Boston for you know for not making a, a couple of moves in this series that that were pretty obvious moves. So what do you what do you think his performance is he just not there? I think he's not ready for this. And and, and look, it was a tough situation he got thrust into with Hidoka. like last minute he's out, you're in, everybody believed in Missoula. And when you hear him speak, and I'm big on like just listening to what guys say. Are you teaching me something? Are you saying something with force and direction? Or are you giving me vague, ambiguity, cliche answers? Because there's a million guys like that, and I don't believe in you if that's the case. That's not who he is all year. I've been impressed by him. But everything about this season from basically March 1 on feels different. And the pressure is there. And the expectations are there. And then the Bucks get knocked out. So now it's really a pathway for you. And so all of these decisions – are so scrutinized that he makes or doesn't make, starting with end-of-game execution, which is what they're coming up with out of timeout, or, in the case the other night, not even calling a timeout. He is rightfully being questioned about these things, and he's getting defensive about it. He's getting irritated about it because I think he's insecure about what they're doing, as any young coach probably would be. So, yeah, some of this absolutely has to fall at his feet. Um, and, and, and that's the question I have is, are they, do they believe they're getting the answers they need? Like, does he help them in the moment or before the game with their preparation right now? I think there's some dead genuine questions about it. So I can only imagine how bad he's getting hammered with Boston sports talk radio. All right. Let, let's talk about the two stars, good players, but, uh, you know, Boston has survived a lot with contributions from the other guys instead of Brown and Tatum. Tatum has disappeared in a couple of spots, and even last night comes off with a, uh, a bad start. Are these two guys capable of raising the level of this team to the point where they can win two games? I think Jason Tatum is a guy that you can win a championship with as your best player. So that answers that question, yes. And I wouldn't write these guys off. You know, winning, winning a game, you know, with all the, all the depth they have, and, and going to the finals a year ago, like to discount the fact that can they go to Philly and win? Of course they can go to Philly and win. But it's going to take some things we haven't seen. It's going to take that impact from a guy like Derek White. It's going to take Horford, you know, who, who has hurt the Sixers in the past. You know, he's going to have to have one of those four or five made three type nights. It's possible that Marcus Smart 
hasn't had that X-factor moment that he usually has. Brogdon's been pretty good. Tatum's been up and down. Brown's been up and down. Um, I don't think necessarily Tatum and Brown complement each other all that well. I, I think they're almost mutually exclusive in how they operate offensively, and that's not always a great recipe. Like You'd want your two best players to go attack you together in tandem. Harden and Bede, Jokic and Murray, right? That's what that LeBron and AD, that's what that looks like. They don't really do that. And I, I keep joking all day because this is what, what I feel about their offense sometimes. You know, be great is not a play set, okay? That's not a winning formula to go make all these difficult shots all the time. They're at their best when they move it, and all those guys I just mentioned are killing you from the three-point line. They're just not getting to that. So, look, they're capable. I think Philly's going to win the game and move on. So you got you predicted a game six win. Now yeah. again, we let let let's take it. If they somehow magically win a game six, Boston comes in and plays out of their mind. And one one of the things they're talking about now is pairing uh, uh, Robert Williams and and Horford together and playing them a lot more on the floor because their defensive metrics are are really good when those two guys are on the floor. Uh, and the other thing is the double MB, which they hadn't done all the time. What what adjustments do you think that they will make and should make for Game Six? I think they've got to make the adjustment where you're now going to force PJ Tucker, Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, um, you know, whoever else sees minutes. They always go to a couple of house, whoever it may be. Force them not to make a couple of threes and then panic and overreact. PJ Tucker, you made a corner three. That's great. Can you make six of them? Can you make, uh, can you make, you know, five Tobias Harris? That's what I have at this point. The shots that you were giving Joel Embiid are the equivalent of layups for any player in the league. It can, you can't allow him to continue to operate that comfortably. You just can't. They haven't made him feel anything out of his peripheral when he catches the ball in the middle of the floor. They just haven't. So I think it's time. And look, I got news for you. If those guys do that and they rise up and make threes, you're not beating them. You're not. You're not as good as they are. You're not in this series. So you know you kind of just move on from it, get into the off season, and just what went wrong. But I, I'd have a hard time if I'm Missoula, living with that. Just we're gonna play them the way we want to switch on hard and let these big guys guard them in the middle of no. It's not. You're not gonna win doing that. You're letting it. You're letting great players off the hook a little bit by doing it. So that's the adjustment that I want to see. What do they come up with to make it a little bit more difficult for Joel? Okay. So let's just say they make these adjustments. They win game six, game seven at the TD garden. Now the, for the Sixers to win that game seven, that means they will have won three games there. Yeah. Is that, is that a likely thing to happen or would Boston have the edge in a game seven, even looking at what's happened? Yeah, definitely. And, and, and look, this is despite the fact that Boston has laid three eggs at home in this postseason. Remember, they couldn't even knock out a 500 Atlanta team in an elimination game in their own building and allowed that team to put up a big number. Now, they bounced back. They went on the road. And that showed me something. They, they got focused. They were mad. They went down to Atlanta. They closed the series out, right? Don't let this thing drag on to a seventh game. So they've been bad at home. The crowd has not gotten into it. They're dying to get into it, and they've given them no reason. Three different nights. Having said all of that, Game 7 on the road in Boston, I don't think that's going to be a good scenario for them unless you can stay in the game, Mike, 
within striking distance and allow that weight uh, that falls on Missoula and falls on Tatum to feel that, right? Just like Philly's going to feel, by the way, in game six. Now, if that game's tight in the middle of the fourth quarter, you know how that is at Wells Fargo. It gets heavy in there, right? And so that's all you want to do if you're Boston. Just keep me within striking distance. Same thing if Philly were to go in there for a game seven, but I think all the money would be on Boston in that situation. He's the great Tim Legler. Uh, Tim, we're going to let you go here. I just uh, quickly on this Telestrator thing because you're just amazing at it. How long did it take you to master that? You know, it's interesting. When they first introduced that technology a number of years ago, they, they gave each analyst, like they set you up for a one-hour session in his practice room where you could go in and mess with all of it, right, and get a feel for it. At the time, we probably had six, eight NBA analysts. Everybody took their hour. The other six or seven guys immediately were like, I don't think I'd ever be comfortable doing that on live TV. I said, that's great. It's one hour. Can I sign up for like five more hours immediately? Because I wanted to master it. I wanted to differentiate myself. You know, this is something that I can do that other people can't. So, yeah, it took a while in the beginning. And now it's it's definitely something I can't wait, especially on given nights where I find something that's really educational. I can't wait to send those plays in and then get, get my hand on that thing the next day. Yeah, uh, who's better, you or Orlovsky? I got you, actually, but w- w- what do you think? You, it's you funny, th- it's funny you say that because just this morning, Ryan Clark, the, the football analyst, great football analyst we have, was watching at home. I did one, and he tweeted out he wants to produce a, a show that ESPN creates for myself and Orlovsky, and he already gave it a name, Dan's Got Legs. And uh, we go on there, and we just battle back and forth like dueling pianos. And uh, we both would love the opportunity because, yeah, he's, he's, he's sensational. We give each other a lot of love. We're definitely part of the Mutual Admiration Society with these uh, touchscreens. That is awesome. Tim Legler, thanks a million, man. Good to see you, and uh, thanks for being on. And we'll see if they can get it to the finals here. Definitely, Mike. I'll see you either there at the building or I'll see you down ashore. You got it. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, thanks so much to Tim Legler for joining us. He's a busy man these days, so uh, we're glad that Legs could uh, spend some time with us. All right, it's time for uh, Mike Unleashed. You know, Mike Unleashed can go uh, anywhere, and uh, I haven't really gone political in a really long time, so I'll, I'll just go briefly political today. Um, Donald Trump was given a forum last night on CNN for some town hall meeting. Uh, I didn't watch it. I had really no desire to hear what he has to say because I know everything that comes out of his mouth is is BS and lies and uh, pandering to his base. So I I had no interest in watching it. Um, Now, let me just say this. uh, The CNN head, his name is Chris Light uh, or Licht. I don't know how you pronounce it. uh, Obviously thought it would be journalistically fair to, um, you know, throw a bone to the uh, quote unquote other side since CNN is considered a liberal news outlet. Now, I don't have a problem with that kind of a philosophy if it, it, it is uh, a legitimate interview. Um, a town hall meeting that is stacked up with specifically chosen Trump supporters who are going to hoot and holler about and laugh and applaud everything he says, I'm not so sure what the value of that is. I think at that point, you're just giving a liar another large forum to lie. So uh, I thought it was a sham uh, that, uh, that it was called a town hall meeting because it, it really was a rally for Trump. And I don't think that that's journalistically responsible. Um, it, it, it also it gives an insane person um, may, uh, a mainstream outlet to spew more 
of insanity. And I, I don't see where there, there's any value. This man is clearly an insane person. And so you go, okay, if you were legit, I give you a form. Since you're insane, uh, I give you zero. Uh, all right. So uh, it was a fixed audience. Trump supporters, uh, they encouraged this nonsense with applause and barbaric hoots and hollers. It, it's, uh, uh, you know, he, he was, it's one thing to spew his lies on his truth social thing. It's another thing to do it on, on national TV. And, and all, all it did was make this idiot bigger in scope. Uh, again, I didn't watch it. I think uh, you know my opinion on, on him. He's an insidious creep. I don't care what he has to say. Uh, and and so uh, I'm ashamed that this country has a large number of ignorant sheep, racist white nationalists that follow him. Um, nor did I tune into the post game stuff, like because I knew what was going to happen. CNN's going to have a panel of people. They're going to say he's this, he's that, he lied, blah blah blah. And it's funny that, that that everybody can do that, but no one in this country has the courage to stop it. They just comment on it. And so that's what uh, is most dismaying for me uh, about this whole thing. And I don't even, I don't care what he said. I know people had a rundown of the things he said, and he kind of mocked the woman that he just lost a sexual assault suit to, the whole bit. doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is CNN gave a forum to an insane person, and it wasn't newsworthy. And if you're going to do an interview, you do an interview with the guy and you back him up with questions and you do it with follow ups. And poor Caitlin Collins was thrown to the wolves. You know, I like her. She's too young to handle that kind of a situation. You got to get uh, and if you didn't agree to a one on one interview with somebody who's a legitimate news guy, then you just don't do it. All right. That's my spin on that. Uh, that'll end the political uh, stuff for today on the Mike Misnelli podcast. Now, uh let me go back uh, to number two uh, item is uh, Jalen Brunson. Man, th- this kid, he played 48 minutes in an NBA playoff game. Now, now who does that? Who does that? And, and as a guard, where he's got the ball in his hands every single time. 48 minutes the kid plays. He's got a bad ankle. This kid comes from really good stock. I know his father very well, Rick Brunson. Uh, in fact, uh, I'll tell you a quick Rick Brunson story because the kid plays just like Rick Brunson. A lot of people don't remember Rick Brunson, but he played for Temple and he was a McDonald's All-American. And when I was working for the Inquirer at the time, and it was the spring of 1991, and um, they asked me to go up to Salem, Massachusetts, where Rick Brunson is from, and do a feature story on him. Uh, go up and hang out with him. And I go up, I meet the family, the whole bit, and I'm hanging out with him. Uh, and so he says to me... Uh, Hey, uh, Saturday morning, we have this pickup game at Salem College. Uh, do you want to play? And I'm going, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, spring of 91, I'm still fairly, you know, in good shape. I've been, I play a lot of pickup basketball. I'm going, yeah, sure, I'll run. Uh, so it's a full court run, and everybody in this game are college basketball players. And, the, and one of them is the father of Michael Carter-Williams, who apparently is a great player from that area. <laughs> I wind up guarding that dude, and I got smoked. I mean, these guys, first of all, Rick Brunson can run all day. That was one thing he did, just run all day. And these guys, every one of them run. All, my tongue is hanging out. They beat that crap out of me in that pickup game. So uh, so <laughs> Rick Brunson plays has tutored his kid to play just like him. Yeah, I will say, if Rick Brunson's listening, sorry, your kid's a better shooter than you were. The ball came out of your hand a little hard. You had a lot of long rebounds. 
as a Temple University player and nine years in the NBA, Rick played. You can see him on the bench. And it's cool to see those guys together, the son and the father. Uh, anyway, 48 minutes for Jalen Brunson is just unreal. All right, number three on the hit list of Mike Unleashed, J.J. Redick. It looks like he's probably going to get the Raptors job, head coaching job, no coaching experience. Good. That'll get him off these panel shows. You know, it's funny because J.J. Redick, I've gone like hate, love, hate with him. Hated him at Duke. Total hate the face. One of those white Duke guards that you you hate, the the Steve Wojciechowski's and uh, the kid that's in the NBA now and uh, Chris Collins and all those little jerks, right? Um, Sixers. Love JJ. Love a guy that can come off a screen. Dribble hand off. Fire. Love him. Media guy, back to hating him. He's obnoxious. He goes on these panel shows. His podcast is obnoxious. So, yeah, all right, get the job. We'll see how good a coach you are. All right, that's uh, the last thing. Uh, Not the last thing. Number four, Dollar Dog Night. Last night, last one of the year. I did send uh, the president of Phillies an email for my brilliant idea soup Nazi style on how to give out the dollar dogs because their lines were just uh, crazy. People are complaining about how long they have to wait to get hot dogs. The problem now is Philadelphia fans can't control a hot dog night. Yeah, it, It's like having like $3 beer night. They won't be able to control that either. Now they can't control dollar dog night. Dollar dogs now are missiles for people to throw. See, you, you give them a, a lot of rope and, and, until you, know, you, you, have to, you have to rein it in. And at this point, Dollar Dog Night has become obnoxious. You got people throwing dogs because they're a dollar. What do I care? I got bought seven of them. I'll eat six. I'll throw one. So uh, I, I don't know if they're going to continue this thing. I, I, uh, it's, 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 it's now become another way to make fun of Philadelphia fans. Oh, look, Philadelphia fans are getting Dollar Dogs. All I do is throw them at each other. So uh, that'll end uh, Mike Unleashed. Do you have any comments on any those uh, titles there, Darren. I'd like to know, why do you think that the last one of the year is May 10th? What, any reason you think why they do I, I don't know. I don't, so they, they, this, this year was kind of weird that they wouldn't intersperse them and, and, and have them periodically. But, uh, yeah, they, they all bunched them in. It's, it's like uh, – I think it's like that every year. It was like interleague play. They get the whole uh, over with it in, in the beginning. So, uh, yeah, I don't know the reason for that. I, I'll have to, I'll have to ask my, my source – at the Phillies, who said in his response to me, he said it's it's a great, it's really a pretty good idea. He said, but we have worked so hard to make this place cashless that we can't now open it up to cash, which is what people told me on Twitter and responses and stuff like that. I listen, man. I, so just have it for one day, have a cash. I mean, what's the big thing? Yeah, I mean, the rest of it's cashless. Just just have this one thing. If you, if you don't have cash, you can't buy a dollar dog. You go. You go to the concession with your credit card and you buy a five dollar dog. You know that that's too bad. But but if you publicize it, you bring cash. I mean, what are you gonna bring? Ten ones? Bring ten ones to the park for crying out loud. Buy yourself ten hot dogs. All right, that's the end. You can almost promote it as cash only dollar dog. Yeah. But anyway. All right, that's Mike Unleashed for today. Uh, it is time now for three questions for Mikey Miss. All right, three questions for Mike. You missed question number one today, Mike. Uh, you're going fishing this afternoon, my favorite hobby, hobby uh, on earth to do. Uh, do you have a preference, okay, freshwater or saltwater fishing? Because they can be very different at times. 
I, I don't have a preference. I, you know, I would consider myself a novice fisherman. I, I have fished. I don't do it a lot. Today, I'm going out in the bay for some stripers with a friend, yeah. friend of mine up in the northern Jersey Shore area. Um, I, I, you know, I used to, I, I have gone out deep sea fishing, but deep sea fishing is too much of a commitment now. It takes too long to get out there. It's the rocky seas. And I know you get bigger fish out there. You get tuna and blues, but like, I don't have the stamina to do it anymore. So I, you know, fresh water's fine for me. Uh, but, uh, like bay fishing where you don't have to go out that far where it's not rocky. I'll take that too. Yeah. I, I, I much prefer salt water. If your captain's smart, you can get out to where you want to go in 45 minutes to an hour. But Yeah, I mean, I love tarpon fishing where you, you don't have to go out that far, and it's a game fishing situation. Uh, and I like Florida fishing, so, yeah, there's that. Yeah, there you go. All right, saltwater fishing all day for me. All right, question number two. Sunday's Mother's Day, Mike. What is the perfect, perfect Mother's Day gift? Give some of the uh, husbands or the boyfriends out there or the sons out there uh, some ideas for a Mother's Day gift. Yeah, listen to me. A Mother's Day gift is you you you, you do stuff where she doesn't have to do anything. So if if you want to uh, make a nice dinner for her and invite people over, that'd be nice. She doesn't even get near the kitchen, or you take her out somewhere nice. The problem, you know, everybody's doing that, taking their mothers out. So it, maybe it's not as comfortable an experience. I think you spend time with mom, and she does nothing, and you treat her all day. To what she deserves because of all the the treatment that she has given to you over the years. That's the most simplistic way I can uh, uh, describe a gift. And, and, and you know, you give a gift, whatever she likes. If she's in the jewelry, fine. If she's not, uh, I, maybe some 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 products that she uses, or, you know, whatever to make her like life. And beauty products, you mean? Yeah, something like that that she uses that she has affection for, or some new product, you know, to treat her. Everything is about treating mom. There you go. Good answers right there. That's question number two. Question number three, Mike. Mama Missinelli, I know, is a big influence on in your life. Um, you and your mother were, were fairly close. Uh, give me a memory or a characteristic, something about your mom that uh, you took into your career that you attribute towards your career's success. Well, see, my, my mother was uh, the kindest woman uh, I ever knew, and uh she was non-judgmental, and uh, uh, a lot of that was because of her faith. It's, I had a, a very interesting background in that she, my mother was Pentecostal. My father was Catholic. So uh, uh, I saw, like, my mom was very non-judgmental and accepting of, of all people, and I got that from her. And I got, like, she was unfazed by, like, she wouldn't carry her anger to the point that <laughs> people look at me and go, well, you didn't take anything after your mom, uh, off, off the, off the court. I do like, believe it or not. I mean, she was a benevolent woman. And so I tried it. Like I, I have that in my, uh, in my head all the time to like be nice to people. Uh, uh and here's a great story. She was the type of woman that I would always really feel hurt if I let her down. And I remember um, when I was underage and I got drunk on Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill wine, bad wine. And it was the first time I had really drunk it. I may have been 15. And, and I came home and I, I, this was the first time I had the spins. I didn't know what it was. I'm looking around, looking at the ceiling and I got the spins. And uh, I, I go outside to the porch and I blah. I, I vomit all over the front porch because it's like a total drunk sickness. And uh, my mom gets up and she cut, she comes out 
and she says, she says, were you drinking? And, and it's, the, the, I, this is gross, but the vomit smelled like strawberry. And uh, uh, I said to her, I lied. And I said, no, I'm drinking. I ate, I ate some bad strawberries. And um, she let me have that lie, even though she knew it was a lie. That's, yeah. And I said, oh, my God, I really hurt her. And I vowed not to do that ever again to her. Oh, that's, well, look, moms are the best. It really is. It's the most important holiday of the year, I think. All right, All right, let's go with the thought of the day, and then we'll end it. Now, my thought of the day, uh, I was notified yesterday by his son. And one of the great callers I ever had on Sports Talk Radio was a guy named Bernie from Broomall. And his son notified me yesterday that Bernie passed away. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really hit me. I, it saddened me because, like, Bernie from Broomall was a character without being a character. Uh, but he was the, the most kind, harmless man you could ever have. And, and you know, of course, if people remember the call, he was kind of hard of hearing. So everything I would say, he would go, huh? It's like some old Italian guy. And it was hysterical. And he became a, a classic caller on the show. And everybody waited for Bernie to call. And he would call all the time. And he would give me a report on how his health was doing. And just he, he was just a, a harmless guy who uh, loved sports and loved being on the radio and got and loved the fact that he became a celebrity from being on the radio and everybody remembers who he was. And so uh, I, I just feel sad in my heart that he passed away. He was in his 80s, uh, but he, he lived a really good life and told a lot of great stories. And uh, one of his great stories was his, his buddy growing up in South Philly was a guy named Petey Brooms. And they call him Petey Brooms because he was a muscle man, and but he didn't have money for weights, so he'd get a broomstick and put weights on the end of the broomstick and go in the corner without his shirt on. I mean, you, I mean classic stories that you, you couldn't make up, and this guy was such a genuinely nice man. So my condolences to the family, and uh, we're going to miss Bernie from Broomall. And I put it out yesterday on Twitter, and everybody had favorable things to say about Bernie. So that's my thought of the day. Uh, uh, God rest your soul, Bernie from Broomall. You're you're a great. You brought man. him in studio too, right? Yeah, he was in the studio a lot. He would come in the studio and bring us handmade uh, uh, food arrangements and stuff like that. Uh, he, he was just a classic guy. Uh, all right, it's time to end it for today. Thanks everybody for listening to the podcast. Let me get you just to uh, uh, tell you a few things. Don't forget to download that Bad Rivers app if you don't have it. Again, the line's telling me Celtics. But I'm gonna I'm gonna ride the Sixers on the as a money line winner tonight on my Bet Rivers app. Uh, also, let, let me tell you that I'm available for for appearances and speaking engagements. I I I'd love to get back on the tour and do some speaking engagements. And you can email me Mike at MikeMess.com if you're interested in that. We can go over uh, uh, what you would uh, want me to do. Also, you can get uh, hire me to do a shout out on Cameo. Just go to Cameo C A M E O dot com. I've done a lot of those and. Uh, I give you, I give you my best. You know, you're usually supposed to get a 30 second hello. I give you a whole thing, man. I give you about a minute 30. I talk right to your heart on Cameo. Uh, also, for, for things business related for me, I'm trying to you know, work on some business angles. Um, Mike Miss V on Twitter. It's Mike Miss Ventures. It's Mike Miss V on Twitter. And you can also follow me on my other Twitter account where I post a lot of comments, which is Mike Miss25. And for more info on everything Mike Miss, just go to my website. It's MikeMiss.com. You can find out what I'm up to. All right. I think that's about the does it for today. 
for producer Darren, I am Mike Missinelli. The Sixers are going to win tonight, and uh, we're going to be anticipating for the first time in a while an Eastern Conference final that they actually would have home court advantage and be favored in. Boy, what a turn of events this year has been from the World Series to the Super Bowl to maybe an NBA championship run in Philadelphia, the city of winners. Have a great rest of the day, everybody. Uh, We'll talk to you next week. Well, no, we'll talk to you tonight after the game. Stay tuned for the podcast immediately following tonight's game. Let's go Sixers. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissonelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.